Welcome to the Lionheart Podcast. And it is a very exciting time to be launching this podcast. I have some amazing guest speakers coming up and so much wonderful information to share. So thank you for joining us. Today I'm speaking with Delia McCabe. Delia is a neuroscientist and a brain health specialist. I have so enjoyed knowing Delia over the years and listening to her expert knowledge and research on the topic of brain health and nutrition for the brain. Delia had studied a master's in psychology and did complete that some time ago. However, during her studies, she found that food and nutrition had such a direct effect on the brain that she took a left turn from psychology and the traditional method of talking therapy and decided to focus her energies into nutrition and health from a food and total well-being perspective. This research also included the importance of taking care of the child's growing and developing brain. So mothers, please also listen carefully. Delia is the founder of LighterBrighterU.com and the author of two books, Feed Your Brain and Feed Your Brain, the cookbook, plant-based recipes designed especially for brain health and nutrition. Welcome, Delia. Welcome. Hi, Jenny. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So, Delia, I want to start by asking you this transition that you made from the traditional method of talking therapy when you finished your master's and moved into nutrition for brain health. Tell us a little bit about that and what you discovered there. Well, Jenny, it's, it's interesting because sometimes something happens in life and you really don't realize it's going to be shifting you entirely in a new direction. And that is what happened when I was doing my master's. I was working with a group of really smart school kids that were really battling at school. They were unmotivated. They were unfocused. They really just and didn't do well. And their parents and teachers were desperate with them. So I decided to investigate what the psychological variables were related to the underachievement. And in one of the questionnaires that I was giving them, I had a bit of extra space. And I thought, well, let's just ask them about their food. I was just curious about what their favorite food was. And all of the children in my experimental group, that's the children who were smart and doing poorly, they all loved junk food. And the children in my control group, that's the group that were smart but doing well, didn't like junk food. So it was really interesting for me to see that that was a huge difference. And obviously the other variables involved, but for me that was pretty stark. And I thought, well, look, I'm just about to finish my master's. This is, I'm going to keep it at the, you know, at the back of my mind and, and I'm going to investigate it further. And then I had my daughter and I thought, look, let me just go and check it out a little bit and, and look at nutrition and the brain. And as I asked you, you know, when we first met, it just was completely, um, I felt that I couldn't do justice to the talking cure anymore because I wanted the brain to be well nourished before it made changes. And that's basically how I changed from a talking therapist to a nutritional neuroscientist. Wow. So, so the effects you spoke about, so, so you really had no, knew nothing about nutrition before you made that shift. It was something you just discovered along the way. Well, it's interesting because I, I grew up in a home where my mom was really very interested in health and well-being. She kind of like made bean sprouts long before they were famous and fashionable. Um, so I grew up in a family that understood that vegetables and good food was, was, was healthy. And, you know, that definitely primed me for being healthy. But I didn't know what I know today about nutrition. I had to go and find out all the stuff 
that, that I wasn't aware of, particularly in relation to how the brain develops and how the brain functions. So for me, it was a completely new journey, yes. Yes, wow. And you did speak about how you noticed a, a big difference in children that ate well. So how does this nutrition affect a child's brain in development? Well, it's pretty sobering because when you think about the fact that the brain is developing at such a rate um, when, when a child is young, in utero and after the child is born, the environment has an enormous impact on that brain. And, you know, when we think about thinking, thinking occurs across a huge network of very sophisticated and specialized cells, chemicals, membranes and molecules. And all of those rely on food. And, of course, in a developing brain, it's even more um, greedy and hungry for, for nutrition because it's busy growing at such a rate. So when children don't eat optimally, they cannot reach their genetic potential. And this is what was happening with these smart kids who were not doing well at school. They weren't eating well. And so even though they were smart, they couldn't really maximize that, that genetic potential that they had because they couldn't focus. They couldn't concentrate. Their blood glucose was going up and down. They didn't have the nutrients required to, you know, to solidify memory and to, to maximize the learning capacity that the brain is in a great state of when the brain is young. So all of those things impacted these children's ability to actually maximize what, what their parents had given them in terms of genetic potential. So what are some of the nutrients that you're referring to, like for mothers and, and parents out there that want to give their children the best? One of the most important ones, and which for me was very surprising 23-odd years ago, was that fat is so important because 60% of the dry weight of the brain is made up of fat. And of that 60%, 20 to 25% is made up of a very specialized kind of fat that makes sure the brain works optimally, and that's polyunsaturated fats. Mm -hmm. So if the child doesn't get enough of those fats, the, the neurons don't develop fully, which means that they don't build all those little connections, or what we call synapses, between neurons, which allow neural pathways to develop and allow the, chain, the child's brain to actually learn and grow and maximize its potential. So those fats are extremely important. So that's the one thing. And of course, we have B vitamins that are really important for energy. And then we have B12, which is very important for myelin production, which is basically the um, fatty, um, protein-rich um, cabling or insulation that, that grows along the axon, which is the part of the neuron that connects to other neurons. So that's very important as well. We have antioxidants that are important, um, things like vitamin C, vitamin E, all of those, I mean, we can't actually single out only one. I mean, even iron is extremely important to the developing brain and to, to all brains. But when the brain is developing, iron is very important because it's also involved in myelination. A very nutrient-dense diet is required for a child's brain to develop optimally. Yes, and I think based on many of our discussions, I'm going to go back to the fats for a moment. Also, actually what I'd like to put in here is what we can almost narrow down is what to eliminate. So things like processed foods and hydrogenated oils, the bad fats, and keeping the diet whole and nutrient dense, as you said. Also, when we move into the, the, the healthy fats or the right fats, you mentioned polyunsaturated. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that, just so people are clear, because there's a lot of commercial polyunsaturated fats and oils out there that aren't quite what you're talking about. So let's just clarify that one a little bit. Absolutely. I love to clarify this. And normally what I say to people is those golden aisles at the large supermarkets, you kind of like need to run through the nonstop. 
those oils on those, on those shelves are mostly shelf-stable. And for manufacturers to make those polyunsaturated oils shelf-stable, they have to go through very harsh processing. And in the process of being processed, they become toxic and damaged. And most of them are things like um, sunflower seed oil, canola oil, um, some sesame seed oil, soya bean oil, even grapeseed oil. All of those oils become toxic when they're processed. So they're very important for the brain to be able to develop and, 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 and function optimally, but when they're processed, they become toxic. So although this is, I think, where the confusion comes in, Jenny. You know, when something is really complicated, it's easy to confuse people. So when people are told that polyunsaturated fats are good for them, they are, but not if they're damaged. That's right. Um, so they need to be in glass. They need to be um, a dark bottle. They need to be nitrogen flush. They're, and those oils you're not going to find on the supermarket shelf. You'd be lucky if you find some organic olive oil, but olive oil is not a polyunsaturated oil. <laughs> but from reading your book, I remember you talking about the, the polyunsaturated oils found in whole foods, such as the seeds themselves. Eating the seeds themselves as well can, can give us a good nutrient-dense healthy fats. Nuts and seeds and absolutely and even plants, chia seeds, hemp seeds, maybe a good balance of those omegas. Absolutely. But once again, we need to make sure that when we buy them, they're kept cold yes. because those, those omega oils are, and, and fats found, found in those seeds, which are the omegas, are very sensitive to light, heat and oxygen. So just buying them off, off the supermarket shelf isn't a really good idea. Um, they need to be bought from, from a cold source and they need to be kept in the fridge or the freezer. And then obviously one needs to crush them before you eat them because otherwise you don't get that oil, which is very delicate and hidden inside the, inside the seed. So I always say to people, if you want to really give your bowel a good clean out, then consume those seeds like, like flax and chia without crushing them. But if you want to get the nutrients, then you must crush them. Crush them. <laughs> Throw them into a smoothie, crush them for a salad. Absolutely. And just on, we spoke of the developing brain in children, but this brain health and nutrition is just as direct and effective for adults, of course. Absolutely. And I think people forget that. The funny thing is, you know, we use our brain to think. We use our brain to live our whole lives. We never think about thinking, really, except when we're meditating, of course, when our brains won't, won't be quiet for a moment. <laughs> but, but the thing is that all of that thinking takes place in a piece of flesh. I mean, one point three to 1.4 kilograms it's only two percent of the body weight but it basically is who you are and you know we forget that it's made up of, from what we eat so i think it's something that's very much neglected which is why it's my mission to make people understand how important it is mm. and, and how important it is to nourish this very important organ and just tell us a little bit about how these these neurons and brain synapses work that you mentioned before um, just so that we can understand like when our brain is nourished what then happens I mean we, we know that we have clarity and focus and concentration and even more energy yeah these are these are some of the wonderful benefits but why is it that the brain is such an important organ in the body and how does all this connectivity actually happen that's such a huge question. <laughs> I'm going to touch on the answers. The most important thing is to keep the brain flexible because we have input coming in all the time from our environment and we also have input coming from our body to our brain. So our brain needs to be very, very responsive. And to be able to be responsive, it needs to be flexible. And so, you know, that we use this word neuroplasticity and people say, oh, the brain is neuroplastic. But that neuroplasticity depends on the health of those neurons. And the health of those neurons depends directly on what they are made up of, which is a large percentage of fat. 
both in the, the membrane of the neuron and in the axon and in all the synapses. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really important. And the right kind of fat means that the brain becomes very flexible, very malleable. Those membranes can shift very quickly, pick up information, synthesize and release neurotransmitters really quickly. So let me just clarify some of that. Yes. We've got about 100 billion neurons. Now, they're tiny, tiny. So 20,000 of them can fit on the head of a pin, if you can imagine. So that's how tiny they are. And each of these neurons can make between 10 and 20,000 connections. So you can understand how complex the brain is. Now, those neurons, hyperconnected as they are, they never actually touch another neuron. At the end of each neuron, they've got little connections, little dendrites. Mm-hmm. And those dendrites... Um, connects to another synapse on another neuron. So if you can imagine that jump, 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 and they connected with electricity and chemicals. So they connected in a neurochemical, an electrochemical manner. So it's, it's beautiful and it's sophisticated and it's really smart. So an, a neurotransmitter, which is basically a, a, a neuron messenger, will jump from one synapse to the next synapse using electricity and this chemical in the neurotransmitter and it'll jump across and then send the message. And these messages can go on for ages forming neural pathways. That's basically our habits are born. And that's why we say neurons that fire together, um, wire together, they connect together over time. But the wonderful thing is that these synapses that, that allow the, the neurotransmitter to be synthesized and also to um, release it, they are very, very high in fat. So if we don't have the right kind of fat in those synapses, that little jump doesn't happen properly so you have that moment where you know what the name is but you can't get it out of your mouth you know that moment where your memory is like a a lapse and that's one of the reasons that that can happen is because that little jump doesn't happen the way it should the other thing that's really important is keeping our blood glucose stable because your brain runs on glucose okay up to 50 percent of the carbohydrates we eat get used by the brain to produce energy and that energy is produced in tiny little things called mitochondria in all of those neurons So we've got trillions of mitochondria in those um, 100 billion neurons. The thing about the brain is that there's nowhere to store energy. You know, on our body, we've got place to store energy. (laughs) But we don't have place in our brain to store energy. So if we don't have stable blood glucose, which which is what is what's supplying the energy to those mitochondria in the brain, you also have lapses in memory and focus and concentration. So one of the most important things to do if you want to keep your mood stable Yes. You want to keep your weight stable, funnily enough, <laughs> all connected, and you want to keep your memory, your focus, your concentration, your learning capacity optimally, keep it optimal, you need to make sure that your blood glucose is stable. Mm-hmm. So that means that you have got a consistent supply of energy in the brain. You don't run out of energy. And one of the ways to do that is to obviously eat a nutrient-dense diet mm-hmm. with unprocessed carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And then you have that on the foundation of a brain that's made up of the right fat and you've got a fantastically capable and functioning brain. There we go. <laughs> that sounds amazing, and you really did make something that is quite complex very, very understandable. <laughs> made a lot of sense, especially the part where the, connect, the connectivity happens through having that, that memory just at the end of your time. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, yeah, nutrition really is a powerful way to keep everything connected. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that fact that basically what they do every day. So you can actually improve your mood and your concentration and memory in like 24 hours because you can help your blood glucose become more stable in 24 hours. And you can also start consuming the right kinds of fats 
And within 24 hours, you start noticing a difference. So it's really direct that you can, you can feel these benefits. The, the, the right kinds of fats, but also the right kinds of carbohydrates you mentioned. So I want to clarify that as well, because these are two key points in nutrition for feeding, feeding your brain. Uh, the right carbohydrates and the right fats. And they're both topics on themselves, really, aren't they? <laughs> they are. We could talk for a couple of days about them. But the right carbs are also extremely, extremely important. You know, the brain evolved to, to consume carbohydrates, but not just, you know, not crisps and, and cookies for, from the corner store. It evolved to, to consume nutrient-dense carbohydrates. And that's carbohydrates that come from nature that haven't been fiddled with. They haven't been through a factory. They haven't had things taken out of them. They're full of nutrients. They're full of fiber. They're full of color, which is full of antioxidants. So these are the kind of carbohydrates that the brain needs. And, and you get an enormous amount of benefit from consuming those foods, not just for your brain, but for your gut, which is directly related to your brain. So yeah, there we go. That's in a nutshell. And a whole new topic. But you know what I want to touch on now? There's a few words that fly around and I, I'd love to hear your explanation on these. They fly around quite a lot when it comes to brain health and overall health and also mood, mood and energy. And that is adrenaline and serotonin. Can you touch on how nutrition and the brain and creating serotonin in the body and the, and the good mood, the feel good, and also can you touch on that a little bit for us? Okay, this is also quite complex, so I'm going to try and break it down and make it really simple. Um, a lot of people are now aware of the fact that most of our serotonin is actually produced in our gut, not in our brain. Now, serotonin is a very important neurotransmitter, neuron messenger, because serotonin helps us balance our mood in a number of different ways. And a lot of people are under the impression that serotonin is only a neurotransmitter related to feeling calm and feeling you know, safe and feeling sleepy. That's what most people um, think of serotonin when they think of serotonin. But serotonin is also related to feeling anxious and um, being concerned and being on the lookout. Now, that is because you don't just get one kind of serotonin receptor. That means in the brain, there's not just one little lock for one kind of serotonin. There are 14 different kinds of serotonin. And some of them are related to feeling calm and relaxed, and some of them are related to being you know, a little bit hyped up. So that is why some people have a really bad um, effect when they start taking antidepressants and they start feeling more anxious and more, more distressed because the way serotonin is working in their brain is now being shifted with this antidepressant. So this is a complex conversation, but it's important to remember that serotonin um, has a number of different roles to play, not just in helping us feel safe and, and, and sleepy and so on. As far as adrenaline goes, adrenaline is the, the, hormone, the hormone or the compound um, which is related to our survival. Mm -hmm. So when we feel stressed or when we hear the, you know, the tiger in, in the bushes, our brain says, hey, hold on a second, we may be in trouble here. We may have to survive. And so what the brain does is, hey, I'm going to send a message to the adrenal glands. I'm going to tell them to make adrenaline because adrenaline then gets sent to the muscles and allows us to feel ready to fight or to flee. So adrenaline is directly related to get our, getting us ready to move. Now, when we feel stressed and we move, it's much better for the body than feeling stressed and not being able to move. So as an example, if a tiger did start chasing you, you would have the energy from the adrenaline and the glucose release in your muscles to run away from the tiger. And look, he either caught you and you didn't survive or he didn't catch you. 
And look, most of us here today weren't caught, or our ancestors weren't caught. That's why we're here. But what happens when you're sitting in traffic, for example, you're sitting in traffic and then you're really stressed. You've got a meeting to go to. You're going to be late. Someone's, you know, really relying on you. And so you're stressed. You're just producing adrenaline. Those, are, those adrenal glands are getting overworked. And now what happens, you can't move. So you've got all of that glucose in your bloodstream saying, hold on a second. I need to move. I need to move. And you can't. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is the trick. And this is what a lot of people aren't aware of. The more times your blood glucose goes up, which it's doing now because you've got all this adrenaline in your bloodstream, the more times your blood glucose goes up and then drops and goes up and goes drop and drops, the greater the chance is that you're going to dump the carbohydrates you're eating as fat. That's just a biochemical um, process that happens. You can't argue that. You can't chat about it. It's just the way it works in the body. So, so what happens, the more times you're stressed, the greater the chances are that you'll put on weight, even if you're eating well. It does make sense. I mean, that does happen. Yeah, people, we're familiar with that, yeah. Absolutely, and that's exactly how it happens at the cellular level. So what we need to do, and this is, this is part of what my PhD is about, what does the body do when it's put into that situation? Does it say to itself, okay, I'm going to make serotonin now to help you get sleepy and go to sleep or to be careful and, and vigilant? Or does it say, I'm going to just make a whole lot of adrenaline now to keep you safe and, and to make sure that you survive? What the body seems to do is to say, oh, you know, forget about jolly making serotonin. I'm going to use the nutrients that I would use to make serotonin to make adrenaline instead. Because this is for short-term survival that the body and the brain is interested in, not in long-term survival. So serotonin and adrenaline have got a very interesting way that they work together. But mostly in, in, in modern life, they're not working well as a team. Adrenaline seems to have the upper hand. <laughs> no, it to me like we have these false alarms of survival instead of the real deal like our ancestors that were living out perhaps in, in, in environments that may have had potential danger, whereas they would, you know, the, 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 trigger, the trigger of some kind of danger would, would set in and the flight or flight was real whereas for us we live in an environment where it's not so real it's not necessarily just more stress related as opposed to a real threat absolutely but there is more bad news <laughs> unfortunately because a lot of people think that the same response that we that, that this this um, stress response is exactly the same as the tiger response and it's not exactly the same because what happens in our brain today in a modern environment we have that stress response and it doesn't die down, and then we start ruminating on it. We start thinking about that stress. And so then that information moves from the part of our brain that's now registered the stress, okay, the amygdala and the hypothalamus, and now it moves to the frontal cortex where we make decisions based on what the consequences are going to be. So we've got this constant going backwards and forwards from the stress response to the prefrontal cortex. What am I going to do about this problem? How am I going to deal with this problem? Backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And that rumination also uses up nutrients. So this is why people come to the end of the day and they're completely and absolutely exhausted. They can't make another decision and they generally end up making poor decisions at the end of the day, which we call decision fatigue, because all day they've been stressing and their brain's been going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards with the stress and the problem that they're grappling with. So it's much worse than just having the tiger, you know, come at you and then you escape. This is an ongoing problem. And for a lot of people, they're finding it really hard to manage that and they don't really understand what's happening in the brain. 
So lifestyle comes into this then. Um, so the nutrition and food is very important and I'm encouraging, encouraging our listeners to grab a copy of your book to get into more in-depth knowledge of the right kinds of foods and even specific recipes to get the best fats and to get the nutrition, uh, dense nutrition and vitamins and the right carbohydrates in a simple way. But now there is also what, what we're moving into here is lifestyle managing stress uh, so that this fight, flight and survival isn't constant in the brain. And I know breathing, sometimes it's taking <laughs> Yes, a deep breath. It's free <laughs> and it doesn't. It is. That can kind of, what happens there? What happened then when you did that, Delia, in the brain? Well, what happens in the brain when you take a deep breath something called the sympathetic nervous system, which is basically the stress nervous system, gets heightened. So it's like a feeling of stress. And then when you take, let the breath out, your parasympathetic nervous system steps up. And that's the um, peaceful rest and digest part of your nervous system. So what I normally say to people is when you're breathing, just be aware of the fact that they are working in concert, both the stress and the relaxation phase. But so the secret, of course, to do is to make your out-breath last longer than your in-breath because that means that your peaceful rest and digest nervous system is, is kicking in for a little bit longer than the, than the stress one. So that is why deep breathing is so important because the brain actually registers it as a little bit of stress and then a deep um, relaxation if you make sure that it's a longer breath. People don't really understand that's what's happening, but yeah, that's what's happening. And to do that on a regular basis, to pull yourself back into the moment with mindfulness allows you to actually give your brain a break and breathe out so that you can just center yourself and, and be in your PNS again. And yoga speaks a lot. Oh, absolutely, yoga. When I was on the mat this morning, I was appreciating it so much because you can live in the moment in yoga because you're busy doing something and your body's moving. And so you don't think about what's coming tomorrow or what's coming in half an hour or what happened in the past. You're just in that split second and it's beautiful. And the brain loves that. It is absolutely beautiful. Sometimes when I'm on my way to yoga, I am thinking about how good I'm going to feel. With <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. Time. And, and there is the breathing and the focus. And what about meditation? I mean, the effects. How does meditation work with the brain? It's interesting. It's a good question. All of the, the, the research about um, yoga is still in its infancy. I'm sorry, not about yoga, about um, meditation. is still in its infancy. And so we don't know exactly how meditation works in ordinary people or a lot of ordinary people, should I say. So there haven't been large studies on on normal people. We've got studies, you know, on, on monks who, who meditate for hours and days and weeks and years at a time. And their brains are obviously different to ours because ours live in a stressful environment and then go into meditation as a separate thing. But meditation is a wonderful way for the brain just to calm down and think of nothing, which of course it doesn't do. It continues thinking, but you're just watching the thinking. So you're not getting embroiled in, you know, the past or the future. So that's a wonderful way um, to calm your brain down. The problem is in today's world is because everyone is hyper-connected and everyone, everyone's brain is actually craving um, connection and distraction, which is another topic, but it's a, it's a bit of a problem. So a lot of people really battle to meditate today. And I, I kind of like feel that I want to say to people is don't feel guilty because you're not meditating by sitting on a mat and, you know, omming. 
I find for myself as well, the other ways that I meditate and, and some of the ways that I meditate is doing a listening meditation. So I will listen to a piece of music and I will really enjoy that piece of music and just focus on each of the notes in that music. And some music really helps one do that more than other music, obviously music with no words. Another thing that I do is a walking meditation where I listen to every sound that's coming into my ears in my environment. So I block out any other thoughts and I just do that. And, you know, I think it used to be that sitting was the new smoking. And I'm getting to the point now where I think that people that don't meditate are made to feel as guilty as people that smoke because meditation is a big thing and everyone's talking about it. And if you don't have time to do it, then you also will feel more guilty and more stressed, which you don't want. So people need to find ways to meditate or just be mindful, just to live in this moment, which is great for the brain as well. Not to feel bad about not doing the whole 20 minutes twice a day thing. Mm -hmm. Delia, I'm guilty of being a sitter. <laughs> I love meditation. And I do. I sit for an hour a day. An hour a day. And That's I, fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. But not everyone can do that. So I realize that. I do realize that. And to be honest, it took me a while to, to be able to do that practice for, for that length of time, especially. Because I, and I know many people, and I did find this in the beginning, I would sit and that the chatter, the, the thinking mind would kick in. But just in a, a practice and, and some just continued persistence or just doing it, I eventually now will observe the chatter. And it does, it just sort of quietens down and goes away. But also, I love, it's true, I, I, I agree, it's, it's not necessarily sitting mindfulness or mind emptiness. I might call it, can be, can be practiced in many different ways. Sometimes I'm just around my animals watching them because they do it perfectly. Animals are so good at it. <laughs> they do. But just looking and looking and really, but really being with my cat or dog reflects back to me that quiet, quiet presence. And also, um, when you were talking earlier on about the activity and distractions that we have, I, wouldn't, I, I think we must mention how important going out in nature is. Going, like when you said going for a walk and listening to the sounds around, being in nature and taking note of the sounds of the birds and the natural beauty can make, I'm sure, have a beautiful effect on our brain and, and as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And they've done some research on that, that being in forests actually makes people calm down immediately and also lowers their cortisol levels. And cortisol is like the slow burning stress compound that kind of like hangs around after adrenaline. So the fact that cortisol is reduced is really very positive thing for, for the, the body and the brain. And the forest seems to do that. And you know that the color green is a very soothing color for the brain. So I've got that on my, the background of my, of my computer and I try and expose myself to trees and greenery every single day because I know that the brain loves that. And just to look at it and listen to nature, we have really moved so far away from who we used to be from nature that getting involved with nature again and planting and gardening and, you know, even if you just grow some herbs or some lettuces and just watch them grow, you, you see nature and, and you realize we're part of it. And, and I think, I mean, look at the plants in your background and in my background, you know, to bring nature into your home also feels good. So, yes, I mean, we could talk about this again for a very long time. We could. And I just want to point out, I can sometimes just look at one of my plants and I feel better. I just feel a sense of just because of their beauty. And that's, 
that can be applied inside. I go out for a walk in the forest. Then there's also the fresh air, breathing the clean air that the trees and nature so abundantly and generously give to us. That must have such a great healthy effect on our brain. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, 25% of the oxygen that we breathe goes to the brain. That means every fourth breath goes to the brain. So breathing deeply and getting oxygen into our body gives more to our brain, which means we get more blood supply, more nutrients up there. And it's all good. Of course, if your cortisol levels go down, you start breathing more deeply and more calmly and more, more evenly. So just that and the oxygen and, and looking around adds such a huge benefit to the brain. So I really recommend, and if people can't do it during the week, they should really try and do it on the weekend. Just find a nature spot and go and sit there and just be in nature. And I want to touch on that too. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, huge acres of forest. It can really be a few trees in your own backyard to sit with. That really, there is, the energy is there. The, the nutrients in the air is there. Clean air is ideal course perhaps as in a less polluted area but the trees the the benefits we get from being with nature can be in our own backyard absolutely i think what happens to us we some most people want to do everything all in and if they're not doing it all in then they think oh well it's not worth it and i think you know little changes and little little gaps during your day can add up enormously you know it's, i read a quote once and I, I still don't know who said this but it's so true and it relates to everything in life you know it's better to not meditate for for 20 minutes than to meditate for five minutes so people think oh well if i can't meditate for 20 minutes just throw it all out the window but if i can meditate for five minutes that's better than not meditating for 20 so the same the same as being out in the forest you know if you can just go out into your backyard and walk around in the grass with no shoes on for five minutes it's better than planning a whole day trip into the forest and not doing it yeah. so you know little little changes small things can make a huge difference in the long run if we're just consistent with them and we can always remember to breathe no matter where we are. <laughs> yes. I, just, I always bring come back to that because it is so simple and available to all of us. Every Absolutely. And what I suggest people do, just take a little stick of note <laughs> and put breathe on it and put it all over your house. And every time you see it, you say, oh, I need to breathe. And I've done that before and I have it in my phone. And um, on the car as well because, you know. The yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are silly but practical. And, you know, if it gets you the end result or you stop in that moment and you go, <gasps> breathe then it's bringing you back to the moment all the time and i think the more the more examples or the more cues we can have for that the better yes and delia there's more to brain health i uh, we had uh, we remember i remember how we met <laughs> i'd heard a lot about you actually so we were speaking together at the real food revolution and i had heard a lot about you from the organizers they kept what do you see delia's she's amazing she's amazing like is really specific because your talk, your topic is so specific on and focused and niche on brain development and your research on fats and oils. And so I was so excited and so looking forward to seeing, but I, I was secretly also, because I was talking about coconut oil, I was thinking, oh, I wonder what she's going to say about coconut oil. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I didn't really know much about your work before we met, and that was that was a good five years ago now. I think four years ago, and mm. and so when you came on and started to talk, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Your knowledge was incredible, and then when you got onto the topic of coconut oil, and you said something about having three jars of coconut oil is an absolute must. 
one in the kitchen, one in the bathroom, and one in the bedroom. And uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> what I say. In fact, when the book was around around coconut oil in each of those three places, and you you couldn't help but notice my arm reach out. <laughs> yes, I did, and that was the beginning of our friendship because we knew we were on the same page. We're on the same page. Yes. I'm going to talk to her, and that's it. We became friends ever since. And we absolutely both an absolute passion for healthy fats and oils, and also in particular coconut oil. Let's just let's just let people know then, because it's not just about the oils in the bedroom, but uh, we can really have a healthy brain by being active in the bedroom too. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You can see that I'm blushing here. Um, I think sex is a very underrated brain enhancement mechanism because when you have sex, you 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 you, you should be having sex with someone that you love and someone that you feel very safe with, and the body is just covered in the most wonderful group of of hormones when when you have sex, and those those hormones are all nurturing. And, and, and supportive of, of brain health. So you have serotonin and you have dopamine and you have vasopressin and you have um, a little bit of, of melatonin because you want to go to sleep afterwards, mostly men and have that effect. So all of those chemicals, those neurotransmitters bathe the brain and, and nourish the brain and you end up feeling safe and secure and settled and loved and cared for and that makes the brain feel everything's okay. So your anxiety falls away, your stress falls away, and you feel good and you feel like life is wonderful. And, and the brain wants to have that feeling more and more. And, and the, the more complicated and complex our lives become, the less the brain has that feeling um, because people feel they're too stressed to have sex. So I generally say to people, you know, don't think about it so much. Just, just have sex and then feel the feeling. Instead of saying, well, I don't have time and I'm too tired and all of those things, just organize your life and make sex a priority so that you can really enjoy the benefits because they're fabulous for the brain. And, of course, they're great for your relationship as well, which we know good relationships are good for the brain too. <laughs> That's true. Um, I imagine this is a big topic in your, in your PhD. <laughs> Actually, it's not. I'm not even touching on sex at all in my PhD. And I, with a PhD, you've got to be very, very specific about your topic. So I don't discuss it, but because I've been looking at everything else in a woman's life and what adds to her stress, I've learned about it on the side. So I'm keeping it for the next book that I write about the stressed female brain and how to soothe it and, and calm it and all of that. So I will bring that into that book, but it isn't actually in my PhD, no. I've got all of that sitting waiting. <laughs> female brain and stress, okay. So and sex. <laughs> well, that's what it's like, um, you're keeping the female brain, you know, minimizing stress. And laughter is another one. I know we just touched on that in our casual conversation. And, I mean, we can feel that really. I can feel it when I have a good laugh. Ah, it's a bit like... Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing about having, you know, a lot of laughter in your life, it's got a real direct effect on the brain and the central nervous system because when you laugh, your parasympathetic nervous system, that's the peaceful and rest and digest um, part of your nervous system gets switched on and you cannot be stressed and laugh at the same time so if for example you're watching a comedian for all the time that you're watching that comedian you're just laughing and so that is a real rest for the stress response in your body and your brain so i recommend to people that they laugh regularly 
Um, if you can laugh every single day, it's really good and laugh for, for, for a period of time. So it's a good thing to surround yourself with funny people and watch comedians just because of the direct effect it has on the brain and the PNS. So yeah, laughter is fabulous. So really, we can sum it up quite easily to good nutrition, especially healthy fats and whole foods, getting out in nature, meditation, so managing stress levels with nature and, and not necessarily sitting meditation, but mindfulness. Yep. Yoga is great. Sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sex. So, yeah, and I mean, that really covers it. So it's really about man keeping the stress, that fight and flight response in check and being yep. And also the other thing I just want to, uh, before we wrap it up, is that just that importance of keeping the brain healthy and how it affects, I mean, stress can cause all sorts of other ailments. I know in the, my years in the health industry and working in the health industry, sometimes it can just boil down to a couple of things. Even a chronic ailment can boil down to stress in the body that's causing, well, maybe not causing it, but definitely contributing because the body can be either stressed or healing, yes, yeah? laughing, healing, that type of... Absolutely. I think we could have another long discussion about stress and the effects on, on, on the body and the brain and that long-term long um, stress or what we call chronic stress has huge implications for health. It gets involved in, in you know, it, it diminishes the, the immune system's response. So that means that you are more likely to suffer from an autoimmune disease. Um, you, you're more likely to get cancer. Um, it affects how you age, so your skin gets affected by stress, which seems like a really superficial thing to mention, but it is important um, because what's happening on the outside of your body is also happening on the inside and, and vice versa. Um, it affects how your bones um, mineralize themselves. It affects your endocrine system, so that's your hormonal system. It affects your cardiovascular system, so you, you're more prone to challenges there. And obviously it affects the brain because when you're stressed all the time, cortisol bathes your neurons and you know that is really really bad news because it shrinks the the dendrites the connections between neurons so you you start losing your memory um, the ramifications are huge with stress so mm -hmm. finding a way to manage it and you know as you were saying the basis is is is, is fantastic diet to make your brain resilient so that it's got enough nutrients to make the, stre the stress response happen and enough nutrients to make the, the neurotransmitters that are still needed and to keep you healthy. And then, of course, you know, being in nature, exposing yourself to nature and um, having sex and laughter, all of those things help you manage the stress response. Because, look, let's face it, we can't avoid stress today unless we leave civilization and go and live somewhere in a tent um, even then we may not escape it because, you know, there are toxins everywhere. <laughs> so we may, we may not escape the toxins, but we may escape the psychological stress. So it's really difficult for people to get their heads around the fact that we're not going to ever remove stress. It's always going to be here. It's how we manage it, which is what we've been chatting about. And, and also keep in mind the idea of meditating for five minutes a day is, is better than not meditating at all. So just keeping that little bit each day or as best as we can each day, as best as we can with it when it comes to food and being in nature and, and what have you. So Delia's book, Feed Your Brain, has, is actually a, a, a seven-step guide, step-by-step -step guide. Is it seven, seven chapters to a lighter, brighter you? And Delia McCabe also has a wonderful website, lighterbrighteryou.life, and a wonderful program called 72 Hours to a Slimmer, Energised and Smarter You, which is easily found on your website. Isn't that right, Delia? And it is. Anybody can go and get it, yeah. 
Yes, and Feed Your Brain, Seven Steps to a Lighter, Brighter You actually has a follow-up book also called Feed Your Brain, the cookbook. You must have had some demand out there for more of your beautiful recipes. <laughs> and um, so it's a beautiful follow-through for those who want to get even more nourished and find some more simple brain health recipes. So I want to say thank you, Delia, because you're in. Sorry, were you going to say something then? No, I was just going to say that I try to make the recipes as simple as possible because none of us have got hours and hours to sit in the kitchen or to stand in the kitchen and, and make, you know, complex meals. So I try to break them down and have really simple ones and then ones maybe to do on a weekend or if you're entertaining. And the focus is, is, from, is taking the science from um, the first book and just basically taking that science and putting it in the kitchen so that it makes it easy for people. So all the recipes that they're making are really brain healthy and, and brain supportive. They don't have to think about it. You know, there are no heated oils and all of that. But the focus is on, is on delicious food because no one wants to be deprived no. of taste. And, you know, when food tastes delicious, it also sets off a whole lot of um, hormones and chemicals that allow our body to use that food better than it would use it if it, if it didn't taste good. So that's also a positive uh, aim. That's wonderful. So what I'm going to do, that, that's really good to know because I haven't thought about it in that depth. I've, I've made your recipes and they are simple and they are delicious. Even that I hadn't thought of, but that deliciousness has a good effect on my brain. <laughs> it does. It all goes around and around and around and our brain's in charge of all of it. So it's good to, to, to nourish it really well. It does. So I'm going to make it simple for our listeners to access your books. I'll be putting some links beneath this recording to access your books and also to get to your website to sign up for your your program and we will be doing more recordings like this because as you can see there is so much there is so much detail and knowledge that can come from every aspect i just want to say a big thank you again today delia because your your knowledge has been just incredible it's so beautiful and, and so simple the way you can express science and and such solid research with your work so thank you again it's a pleasure jenny and it's always lovely to chat to you really thank you thank you and bye 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 everyone bye bye thank you for spending your precious time listening to this podcast episode you can find helpful links related to the topics we have discussed download some freebies, join our Lionheart community and view some of our online training course offerings over at the website www.lionheartworkshops.com. Please also share this with friends, hit subscribe and leave us a review so that these ideas can spread. Those gold stars help others to find us and we can all grow together. The Lionheart Podcast and Lionheart Online Workshops is an online platform and community designed to enhance your health, natural and spiritual well-being. Until next time, please think about how you will embody your Lionheart and have the courage, dynamism and strength to grow and to reach your highest potential and that is to be the amazing human being that you truly are.